Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right, today we're going to talk about the least crappy top 10 work trends list probably in the world, according (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a ringing endorsement. According to the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychologists. (laughs) Yeah, so what you're implying, I I think, from your statement there and your introduction is that there are many, many uh, trend lists out there, people liking liking to prognosticate about the future and bloviating about what they think is going to happen and... You know, if it happens and they can say, I told you so. And if it didn't happen, then no one really notices and they win. But anyway, uh, this is a decent list. And this comes from the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. So we're going to talk about uh, the we're going to give a little intro to their top 10 work trends for 2021. We're going to talk about the actual trends, share those with you. And then we're going to talk about some implications and some further considerations regarding the state of the world of work in 2021. So Let's hop into it and start talking about this list from the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. Yeah, so this list is comprised of a lot of smart people that contribute. Ben, I think you've been a contributor to this list since it started, right? Uh, I have. I think the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology, which I'll just mention is my primary uh, professional association, if you will, Um you know, they've been doing this since I think 2014, and I've contributed to it since then. And the way that they do this is they send out uh, a survey to all members, um, about 7,000 SIAP members. They sent this out to the, for this recent one. And then people have the opportunity to suggest, kind of open ended, what do you see as the top 10 trends or big trends for uh, the coming year in terms of the world of work? And then once those are all analyzed, they can categorize all those responses and then they send out send out a second survey and say okay here's what you all said now let's rank these and tell us how important you think they all are so there is some rigor there like these things are hard to put together um but there is some rigor there i think is so there is some 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 good knowledge we can can glean from this uh so you know again you know no real perfect way to develop a trend list and there are so many of these you know uh, but at least we can say that this list, I think, is a, um, you know, it, it is a compilation of what some pretty smart people see as top trends for 2021 in the world of work. Yeah. So a lot of the guys on LinkedIn, you'll see it's like, oh, look, I'm a thought leader because I put thought leader by my name. It was that easy. You just type it in. <laughs> you know, you, you could do the same thing with <laughs> guru is another one you can guru. do that with. I'm I'm mm. the shaman. You know, since that weird bear man, bear man pig stormed the Capitol, the shaman of QAnon, who you're like, I'm the shaman of 2021 trends. Look, I typed it in my profile. <laughs> I expect to see your your LinkedIn profile update later. In it's like you can't uh, be a today. shaman. You don't. You're not even in fur right now. <laughs> All right, let's get this back on track. We're derailing and devolving. Quickly. I know. Okay, so let, let's start talking about so, these trends because so, our listeners want to know them. So th- this is from real people that are really smart on the world of work. All right. And we'll do this like a top 10 list you'd see on like a tonight show. We'll start yeah. and off then, with the 
Number as a pre- exactly. And as a preview of coming attractions, we will talk about we see what we see as some limitations, perhaps, of this list and some other thoughts after we go through the list. But let's get through the list first, discuss them briefly, uh, and go from there. So what is trend number 10? Well, virtual learning. Yeah. Vir- <laughs> drum roll. <laughs> virtual learning. So they collect, I, I should mention that I think the data analysis or data collection, I should say, for this started in October, November of 2020. So, um, you know, we were deep into COVID type of uh, work environment at that point. And uh, yeah, virtual learning, not a big surprise here. Uh, But yeah, using technology to deliver instruction to help people learn stuff um, seems to be a trend. And it's uh, something that's not going to go away. Hopefully it's gotten better in the last year. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this year's hip replacement's better than last year's hip replacement, you know, so learning (laughs) management systems where, you know, because I talked to a pharmaceutical sales guy and I said, well, you're selling a new hip. Yeah, because we got to make new money. And you'll see some of that kind of stuff in the virtual learning environment. So they had Mm. learning management systems. Now they're having LXPs, learning experience platforms. But let's be honest, the root cause of how people learn and all that stuff it's kind of the same. We're the same monkeys in shoes as we've always been. But sure. any attention towards helping develop your workforce and actually spend time training and developing, I applaud. So I'm not going to poo-poo on this one too bad. No, no. And I think it has gotten a lot better um, in terms of the, te- the technology that's available. Uh, certainly. I mean, being a, a an academic as well, I mean, we, we were thrown into this, you know, back in March, at least in the United States, March of 2020. It was like, okay. Spring break is here. You're not coming back. Whatever you were doing in person is now online. And so we had to get smart or at least try to do a lot more virtual learning and and trying to do that well. Now, I think probably in most corporate environments, they're doing this, you know, even better than we do um, for sure in, in higher ed. And it's for different purposes, right? Uh, my experience in the Navy, we are we certainly are experience, you know, experimenting a lot with with virtual learning and different ways of delivering learning in a way that people can access it when they want to uh, and having that, that relevant learning available. So, yeah, I think this is one that's probably going to continue. And, you know, we've get, we've definitely reaped the benefit of not having to get everybody into the same spot. Um, that costs a lot of money to do that. Yeah. And, and companies need to invest the time and a lot of it, it's held as like the carrot and the stick kind of thing, you know, learn these things so you can get a promotion. Hey, you got to get on, you know, hey, if you're in your 60s and working at McDonald's, what's wrong with you? That's the wrong view of this learning stuff. It's not only about getting a promotion that you learn. You want to create a culture of lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. Well, what? It, wait a minute. I have some just factory workers that are just going to do this one factory job for the rest of their life. Yeah, but what about their financial health and wellness? What about being a good spouse? I mean, there's all these things that you can develop your workforce so they can have vibrant lives. It's not just about moving up the daggone ladder. Nice. So what's trend number nine? Oh, yeah. So this is this one's a ripe one, Ben, and you've published on this. We've done a lot of consulting in this space, but building cultures of agility and adaptability. Yeah. Yeah. This one's been on the list for a number of years now. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know exactly how many I'd have to go back and look, but I have noticed it many times being on the top 10 list from the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. And uh, I think this has to do with the ongoing recognition that the pace of change 
within the broader business environment continues to increase, or at least continues to be quick, right? Things change quickly. And as a result, we have to have organizations that can adapt and that can thrive in that environment. And a big part of this is through having cultural norms, having values within your organization that support that rapid uh, adaptation, that rapid adjustment towards the new normal, uh, the scenario planning and the anticipation of what might happen in order to be uh, ready for it. So, you know, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. And I think uh, organizations continue to recognize it as being important. Yeah. One of the main books that people hold up around agile and agility is Scrum. And the, the subtext to that title is Scrum, twice the work and half the time. <laughs> and and you just see the evil manager class going, you know, <laughs> yeah, twice the work, half the time, same pay, <laughs> right? And and all it's focused on, most people look at Agile and it's all about project execution. Well, the right. problem with that, you can get people that can burn down a backlog of projects so efficiently, it's ridiculous. And they keep getting faster, faster, faster. But that's not what organizational agility about. And actually, that's not what root agility is about. It's the ability to sense and respond to change so that your scrum teams, your project management teams can burn down the right projects that help you strategically win in the marketplace against your enemies. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. And I think it's important to recognize that because most of the time when you hear about organizations that are saying, we're doing an agile transformation, right? That usually has to do with, you know, some of their IT stuff, maybe some of their project stuff. It, it doesn't usually have to do with this broader notion of building a culture of agility. And that's that's something that's really important. And eventually, as you mentioned, if you just change one part of your organization to doing things in a more efficient and more human way, which I think, you know, oftentimes comes with with a lot of these principles, um, you know, they're going to get frustrated and it's not going to work out so well. So one thing I do want to mention is that a couple of years ago, when this was this type of theme or trend was also on the list, the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology reached out to me and asked me to write a white paper about this just to kind of show you know, note. Yeah, show so note. I'll put that in the show notes so people can have more information if they want to about uh, being agile and this idea of agility. So that's number nine. So number 10 was virtual learning. Number nine, building cultures of agility and adaptability. That brings us to trend numero ocho, which is the changing nature of work. Now, that that's a big category. Goodness like, sake. Yeah, if you, if you printed corny corporate polo shirts for everybody at PSYOP, it would probably say the changing nature of work on it or something on <laughs> Perhaps. And uh, this one's on the list for the fifth consecutive year. Right, exactly. Um, I mean, that's, but but I think there is something there. Uh, you know, we, we are continuing to see new ways of working. And this isn't just like working from home. I mean, that could be part of it. But, you know, technology is a big part of this. Uh, we have advanced technologies that are fundamentally changing how some parts of the organization work. Uh, so some of the things that are mentioned in the, the article, and we'll post a link, of course, to the, the actual article, which lists all of these from the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. But they mention things like artificial intelligence, digitalization, automation, and so forth. Yeah. And, and my cynical view on this is the more things change, the more things stay the same right so you got <laughs> new gizmos but 
you still have a jerk boss you got to contend with. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, hey, man, we've got all the AI, but why does my employee annual review still stink? <laughs> right, right. So, and, and, you know, so and it's it, funny to see psychologists that focus on the human aspect talk about all the tech. I, I don't know. It's just funny. Yeah, well, I think part of it is, um, I mean, there's a lot of potential reasons that I'm just totally speculating here, but you know, part of it is that I think just as a general society, you know, we tend to kind of uh, glamorize technology. We tend to see it as like this thing and it's cool and it's hip. Um, but I think there are other ways in which we as industrial and organizational psychologists approach this. And that's in terms of that interface between technology and the human, how that changes, you know, the lived experience of the employee. And, uh, and, and certainly that's important. Probably even more important are some of those fundamentals, as you said, you know, still have that that jerk of a boss we got to fix. So um, some, some good stuff there. I think it's a big category, changing nature of work. Another thing in there is, you know, the, the kind of changing nature of the employee organization relationship, right? So moving from even more so from the idea of lifelong employment at one place to one in which you are having much more contingent labor, having more flexible types of arrangements and those types of ideas. So that's number eight, the changing nature of work. What is trend number seven? Yeah, so this is work-life integration. <laughs> mm. <laughs> be more like, like work-life collision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome to work. You don't have a life anymore. <laughs> if we wanted you to have one, we would have issued you one at the door. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know if you guys have something similar in the Army, but in the Navy, we always say, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if the Navy wanted you to have a family, they would have issued one in your sea bag, right? Um, you know, and and there's yeah, we do it's do the same stuff, right? But um, okay, so work-life integration, you know, it's this. It says that this one fell off the list last year, but this one has reemerged as a key trend. And you know, as we've talked about on this podcast a lot, uh, a lot of this has to do with the. I was joking when I said collision, but you know, it really has been a collision for many of us in terms of our work, our professional lives, our professional identities, and what happens at home. Uh, and that continues to to certainly be an, an important thing to recognize. Yeah, you know, hey, I, I can't log on this week. My spouse has COVID and I have got to homeschool the kids all week. You know, that right. that's just a new grenade to the whole work life. And, and I like how they say work-life integration mm -hmm. rather than balance, um, because stuff is going to happen. Yeah, the whole idea of work-life balance is an interesting one to me, um, because you know it, it. There are trade-offs in life, and you know if, the more you spend at work, is the less you're spending somewhere else. And um, I think finding that way, the the way to integrate it is a a team effort that you've got to have. If you've got a family, you've got to figure that 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 out with your family, with your spouse. Uh, but uh, certainly continues to be a, a trend that we're going to have to deal with, and we really should pay attention to, I think, here in 2021, this idea of work-life integration. So that's number seven. Trend number six is team effectiveness across virtual and distributed environments. So uh, this one's interesting because it's it's a very specific thing, right? Versus, you know, the changing nature of work. Uh, this, is a, this is interesting because, you know, as, a, as an industrial and organizational psychologist, we psychologists are very, um, we are predisposed to like to study those things that we know. So one thing that this field has studied for a long time is how teams can come together and be effective and do great things together. And then you throw on top of that, this whole idea that, oh, well now we can't work in the same spot together. 
we really shouldn't be breathing the same air <laughs> together. And so uh, how do we stay effective and be as effective as possible when we're all working remotely, when we're distributed across different places? Yeah, the whole team's literature is interesting because when we coach or, you know, mentor executives, managers, what do I got to do to get the team to do what I want them to do? And there's this aspect of, you know, well, wait a minute, you know, do you have a kind of real relationship with these people where you care about them, you know, versus just these guys are tool sacks that generate productivity for me, you know, that kind of handshake. It's that idea of like, well, they comply because they need a job rather than they're committed to the team. And we've got good data on this. But when we talk about this virtual and distributed environments, I think a lot of the same tools that would drive success in the in-person environment, you know, are the same. So rather than you just saying, hey, Bill, do this right now, you know, these are um, process-based success elements rather than people-based success. Do you mm. have a good system of accountability? Do you have good project management and workload level setting? And, you know, do you give people appropriate level of autonomy, increase their capabilities through training and have them on a path to, you know, be the kind of person or employee you need them to be? All of the stuff that works well for virtual and, dis virtual and distributed environments work well in the individual environments. Now we just have tools like virtual Kanban boards and other kinds of stuff, you know, chat, Slack channels, these kinds of things to set up that work. And so if I think people just need to spruce up their management techniques from like a, just a project-based, team-based approach, but the same interpersonal stuff you know, yeah. It, well, I think that, yeah, I think the temptation can be to, let's say you learn how to run a team and you've learned all of the evidence-based ways in which we can make teams awesome uh, in, in, you know, in-person types of contexts in face-to-face -face types of contexts. Well, those same principles or some of them, many of them apply in a virtual or distributed environment, but because psychologically we've shifted into this other environment, our brains are telling us that this is different and you may run the risk of forgetting some of those great things or not implementing them and not doing some of the great stuff. Right. So, you know, we've, we've had um, numerous conversations on this podcast about meetings, for example, and we had a great podcast um, episode with Steven Rogelberg, who wrote the surprising science of meetings. And, you know, he came out with that book and then COVID hit a lot of people doing virtual stuff. And so he had to adapt some of his material and he was getting asked a lot of questions about virtual meetings. And, you know, one of his big principles, one of the big takeaways from that book is as a leader, you need to be a good steward of people's time. And I mean, and, and that, that might look a little bit different in a virtual environment, but it still holds true, right? So do those things that you do in, in person, adapt them to the virtual environment. And I think you can go a long way. And I am pleased to say, you mentioned a number of technologies. Technology has gotten a lot better. I mean, I'm, we are not paid by Slack. If Slack wants to sponsor us, they can. Um, so reach out to us and let we'll us know. We'll take but money from anybody. We'll, <laughs> well, not anybody, but Slack, we, we'd be pleased to I will support. take money from anybody. <laughs> ben won't. I, I still have standards. Hey, if you're a bad person, better to give that money to a good person. Turn your life around starting today. <laughs> That's right. But I, I like Slack. Um, Microsoft Teams is a, a good one. that has a lot of functionality, and, and uh, those are great. So. Team effectiveness across virtual and distributed environments, that's number six. So that was, we're zoomed in on this very specific thing. 
Trend number five then takes us way back out again to more macro level things to, uh, you know, big topics that I think are, are a little bit more nebulous and probably require a lot more um, thinking about to address effectively. So what's trend number five, Chris? So this is social justice. And like to your point, Ben, these are broader what we talk about systems type problems because we haven't determined what the handshake is between culture society government and individual organizations when it comes right there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of different thoughts on these issues um now if you're a pure capitalist like i think you would want justice to be part of your deal because Mm -hmm. You don't want somebody's numbskull bias overturning top talent for your org, no matter what they look like. You know, hey, do you wear pants to work? Great. That's that's what we're looking for. Smart people who wear some pants or some kind of clothing. Right. You're not looking for you're not looking for. Well, you know, this guy went to the same alma mater I went to. And there's a lot of that. A lot of colleges, universities. Right. They kind of pimp out their uh alumni network hey go well, of to course this they do and yeah. but I, I, would, I would say that it's driven a lot i mean it's driven by the, the supply right from the universities but it's also driven by the employers you know you go to for example and this is a little bit off the topic of social justice but it's related in terms of you know diversifying your talent pool um or or having equal access and opportunity to jobs i mean if you don't go to a certain number of business schools good luck trying to get a job at one of the big consulting firms i mean that's that's kind of the way it works um, unfortunately, because those are just kind of sorting mechanisms for these different organizations to hire people. So, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, things about having equal rights and access to opportunities. I mean, these have been, these, these are, these are laws. I mean, we have laws that have been on the books for a number of years, in particular in the United States, we have title seven of the civil rights act of 1964, which, uh, you know, first identified protected classes and said you can't discriminate people against people based upon a certain number of factors. But I think the, the point here in terms of why this maybe is a trend is that certainly in 2020, we saw, uh, you know, the killing of George Floyd. We saw other types of incidents that brought these types of issues to the the higher in the public consciousness which then is making organizations then think about, well, gosh, do I need to be doing something different or more or further integrate these types of ideas into the fabric of what I'm doing as an organization? Yes. And so we're actually working on some research with some fellow colleagues, um, ending racism at work. Was it org? Org. Yeah. Yep. So go check that out. We're actually working on that. Social justice is a challenge for us right now because well, we know we want to do something about it, but the route forward isn't laid down by the science and the data as well as other things such as like assessment tools for employee right. assessments, right? So this is yeah. this is new and developing. It is. And it what well, I think part of the challenge is that, you know, you kind of have these differences between like theoretical or more um, you know, pure types of research and then you have the uh, applied research, which is more about taking those findings and integrating them into the workplace. And I think the mo- a lot of the research in these areas perhaps hasn't really made itself into the applied arena quite yet um, versus like, let's say research on hiring. I mean, that's a very applied thing, the, but the, and the selection 
research is robust, right? We do know some good practices, some research-based ways in, in terms of picking good people for your organization. But in terms of these broader issues of race and gender and other types of things, a lot of the research on that, at least in my estimation, I'd love for a listener to, you know, help provide more information here, but um, is much more about some of the broader theoretical constructs, constructs, some of the bigger issues, trying to more understand and explain what's going on versus predicting if I do this, this will happen. Right. So the applied stuff is great. And I think there needs to be more research and work. It just hasn't caught up yet. And this is what we're trying to do um, with our great colleagues uh, with ending racism at work.org. We're looking for organizations to partner with us on that, by the way. So um, we'd love to hear from you if you if you're so inclined. Uh, but this is a big topic. I One thing you've said, Chris, I think that's been really good um, with regard to these types of topics is, you know, handle this with care and don't don't go out there. And just try stuff that you haven't research and you don't there's know people who about. will sell you all the stuff to try all the stuffs all the stuff <laughs> and yet but we've had meta-analysis of this of the and a lot of it looks like hey at worst at best it does nothing at worst it actually can do harm right, so, you're talking about like like certain types of training interventions for example or like right, anti-racism training and a whole bunch of anti-bias training and you know we're not going to deep dive into that but Handle with care these items. Do not waver in your commitment towards justice and equality and those kinds of things. However, it's a landmine out there, and um, just have some discipline as you move forward. Well said. So that's trend number five. Uh, trend number four, uh, it has to do with inclusive practices to get, keep, and grow talent. So this is a, this is a repeat on the top 10 list from the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. Um, but it's interesting. I like that they talk about not only getting people, so you know, attracting and selecting people, but also keeping them, right? We talk, we come across this in the veteran space. So military veterans, you know, a lot of organizations are like, oh, let's get a lot of military veterans in here. It, it really looks good for us as an organization. And oh, by the way, there's probably some benefit to having these types of people. But then the veterans show up and they're like, wah, wah, uh, you, you treated me really well during the, the whole, you know, recruitment process, but this is a horrible place to work. And uh, I don't, I don't feel like, don't feel like I fit in and right. I'm out of here. Right. Yeah. People so keep I asking think, me if I've killed anybody on my deployment. That's a really ugh. odd question to ask. I've been asked that a few times. Have you been asked that Ben? Um, in some ways. Yeah. I don't think people have come out to just kind of directly and asked that. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's strange. So yeah. Yeah. But so this is race, ethnicity, Gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability, social class. There's a whole host of items. You know, if somebody was the first person in their, you know, family to ever go to college, they may be a little rough around the edges as far as like tying that tie in a really good way at their interview. And yeah. they, I mean, there's just all these things and everybody has their own implicit biases and it's it's just a big bowl of spaghetti mess and unpacking these things but you need if you want to have a cutting edge workforce that does cutting edge stuff and has awesome productivity and all those things you're looking for inclusive practices is something you've got to sort out yeah yeah you know and it's so much of this is about culture, and it's about having a culture that recognizes and accepts accepts people who are different. And as you were saying that, I just 
uh, was reminded of a, a scene from The Crown. So my wife and I, we've, we've, we've caught up now. We've watched all the episodes that are out there so far of the Netflix series, The Crown, which follows the British monarchy. And uh, there's this one episode in which there's a super, super awkward scene where a young uh, Princess Diana, I believe it's before she, uh, before they actually got married, but she comes over to like the palace or whatever, and a bunch of the ro royal family standing around in a circle, and she kind of like comes into the circle. She, you can tell she doesn't know what to do. Then she like kind of like bows to one of, like she has like a curtsy to one of them, and it, it's super awkward. And they're kind of like correcting her, and total, you can totally see what they're judging, like, oh, you, you're supposed to, no, no, I'm actually next, then this person, and she didn't get the whole hierarchy and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of goes to this point that. You know, there's these unwritten rules that you have in your organization. You may not even know you have them that may unintentionally or intentionally, in some cases, make people feel like they don't belong. And that, my friends, is a surefire way to not have an organization in which you have everybody firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And you can see this in the management. Every org that I've ever gone into on a consulting engagement, you're like, oh, OK, so this is what the executives look like and behave around here. They use the same lingo. Let's level set the silos. You know, they, <laughs> you know, they, they, they kind of have a certain way, you know, and there's generally a binary gender kind of, you know, dress norm. And, you know, that kind of lets me know it's like, hey, you know, diversity may only exist at the line level. And then you'll miss out on your leadership and your vision and your agility, right? You're sensing and responding because everybody's kind of, playing off the same sheet of music I and mean, it's what yeah. a boring place i just want to quote a piece from the actual article in which um you know th these trends were written up that of course we'll put, put a link to but uh what they said is effective management of diversity equity and inclusion means that diverse talent are excited about working at an organization are able to put forth their best contributions and desire to stay uh so that's the goal and i think that goes hand in hand with some of the things we've already talked about in terms of social justice, but that is trend number four, inclusive practices to get, keep, and grow talent. Let's move on now maybe to trend number three, which is what? Yeah, implementing strategies and measuring progress on diversity, inclusion, or diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging lists. Um, mm. Belongingness. So now we've yeah. got now it's not diversity and inclusion D and I now it's D E I and B. What? <laughs> so I mean that's 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 cute. I, I don't know if um. So in the way that I define inclusion actually includes belongingness, right? Maybe that's a great way to put it so that it has um that added emphasis. But the way in which the research literature defines inclusion is oftentimes this combination this dual existence of uniqueness and belongingness. So uh, anyway, uh, cool way to talk about it. But this is like, okay, trend number two was we got to do all these things. Trend number three is, all right, let's have some actual strategies and actually measure this. So I will say that in the world of industrial and organizational psychology, we do have a bit of a quantification bias. We really like to measure things. Um, you know, it, it's kind of... Uh, it's kind of like, you know, the, sneak, the sneaky way to get people learning statistics is to make them go take psychology classes because... <laughs> a lot of those people are actually, right. you know, secret statisticians, but uh, or really, really enjoy that. And there's a, certainly a purpose for measurement, and it's good. Um, so, you know, not only should we do these things, but we should actually measure them. We should start putting some some rigor, some, uh, you know, some scientific evaluation around what we're doing. Yeah, you can't just say, well, 
what do you mean? I, I don't care about equity, inclusion and justice and stuff. I hired some people and they do, you know, one class a quarter for anybody that wants to show up or I'm super progressive. I mandated everybody show up once a quarter for these. Well, you don't actually know if your interventions are working unless you're measuring it. And some of those are, well, hey, you know, we only have one percent of people of color in our organization, but our, you know, talent, our city where our headquarters at is 40 percent people of color well like something's off there and you're recruiting and those kinds of items so you have to be able to measure these things better measurements of stuff are going to come out continually and you know on the belongingness side i think a lot of people have had the experience um, of working someplace where they just felt man i really just fit in everything's great i like the people i work with and then something changes company gets bought there's a merger And you lose your boss and it just feels like garbage, you know, Mm. belongingness and and you're devastated. You uh, you know, I've I've had that several times in my life and you just feel listless. What am I doing? Do I want to go look at another job? What a pain in the rear. You know, these kinds of things, inclusion and belongingness apply to everybody. Mm -hmm. And and it's something that you should be looking at, not just hey, do we have people of color and some LGBT people hanging around and four veterans that mm-hmm. are probably leaving anyway? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think it, it's definitely important to to attempt to measure these things. Now, it, it's tricky, um, but I think that, you know, having some people in your organization who have some savvy around talent analytics um, certainly can help. And, you know, at least figure out what are the, what are the key results that we're looking for? What are we trying to get out of, you know, having these employee resource groups for these certain types of people or whatever, and and looking to see if it's making any kind of difference. So uh, that's trend number three. Uh, trend number two is is one that I think has been around for a few times on this list, and certainly is congruent with things we talk about in this podcast, as well as some of these other trends. And that is employee health, well-being, uh, wellness, and safety. So, you know, this this kind of speaks to the and I, I think there's an unfair criticism and I think it's kind of gone away to some degree. But in certain academic circles that the field of biopsychology was one in which we were handmaidens to management and trying to suck the life out of the worker. You know, that's kind of a, a classic argument against the the entire handmaidens. Field. What year did yeah. they say that, Ben? I, I, 1746. <laughs> yeah. So, um but you know, I, and and that's typically because you know people who have the expertise that IO psychologists typically have tend to work for management. They are looking at you know trying to help the the organization be more productive. Um, but there is also you know as one of my professors back when I was getting my PhD said, you know, there's also a, an element of responsibility that we have to ensuring that we're also looking out for the employee. Uh, and by the way, if you do. The research shows that it's gonna it's gonna be better overall anyway, right? So one way to actually make your organization better and more productive and all those types of great benefits is to care about health, well-being, wellness, and safety for your people. Yes. So everything from OSHA, you know, nobody wants to think about how many fingers get lost in a year at the hot dog factory, right? Because they think there is is a certain amount of oh, fingers oh, that can be ground oh. up in the hot dog and still still ship. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Right. (laughs) I know. But the thing is safety. Your guys have got to be safe. That's just 
and this is about being a good steward and an ethical leader, right? So you, you don't want your people just, you know, ballooning because all they do is eat snacks so they can stay at their call center, you know, rocking the phones all day. You know, you don't want them um, going through crisis such as the death of a loved one without some kind of support because this is the kind of society we want to live in. You don't want to have some, somebody work at your firm for their entire work life and then spit out the end and not be able to retire if they were responsible fiscally during their lifetime. You know, mm -hmm. th these are just take care of your people, you numbskulls. Let's do yeah. it. Well, and what's interesting, and I always think about whenever I, I think about workplace safety is, you know, many of us may work, many of our listeners perhaps work in areas that are very safe, right? We do jobs that aren't dangerous. And it's easy because of that to not realize that a lot of work actually out there is somewhat dangerous. Uh, so, you know, for example, I'm just looking at some data right now from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which for our international listeners is uh, part of the U.S. Department of Labor here in the United States, where they, they study and collect information about all kinds of things related to work. And back in November of, of 2020, they came out with their, uh, you know, their, their data from the previous year, looking at employer reported. So that yeah, those were, you know, different workplace injuries and, and illnesses that were actually reported by employers in 2019. And, uh, and I quote, private industry employers reported 2.8 million non-fatal workplace injuries and illnesses in 2019. Uh, you know, so there, there, there is a lot. And these can be very costly for the organization and certainly are not a good thing for the individual employee. So um, a focus on these types of, of issues is very important. You know, one thing that we also mentioned in a previous episode where we were talking about, hey, here's some things that you need to be thinking about as you start to plan for a post-pandemic world of um, you know your organization is to think about your overall employee health and well-being. And maybe because we've been so focused on COVID for our employees, you know, has given us a little bit more appreciation for, guess what? We need healthy people on the job. Right. So let's let number one, the final trend. Okay, I think this one deserves <laughs> both of us need to do like a little L uh, little a <laughs> there you go. Okay, um, so the number one trend. Remote work and flexible working arrangements. Shocking. You no. know, and it's probably just because we're <laughs> in this space so much. It's like, I get tired of hearing about this one. But <laughs> but I guess everybody's like thinking about it. And, um, you know, a lot of people need to work remotely now. And now mm -hmm. people are saying, well, wait a minute. I mean, some backup history, a disgustingly short cliff notes. Oh, everyone should work for home. They'll be more productive. They send them home. They're more productive for a month. And then after that, the productivity drops. They're like, oh, well, let's bring them all back in. And it's this whiplash. That's just, that's a lack of discipline approach that has given this a lot of baggage it shouldn't have. Mm. You need to have managers that know how to manage people in person and away. That's just, a, if you're a manager that doesn't have that skill set, you're wrong, buddy. You're going to be left behind, right? Um, if you're a workforce, you know, somebody that has remit over that, C-suite or CHRO, you know, chief human resource officer, and you don't know how to think about these things and assess those fits for your organization and how you should slice that pie, you're wrong. You need to go learn about this stuff. So 
I don't know if it's a trend versus this ship has sailed, like it or not. You better catch up or get left behind. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, and a lot of this has to do with leadership practices. It has to do with culture within your organization in terms of how well you support remote work and flexible working arrangements. I think as we start to move out of being so burdened by COVID and the restrictions that it places on us, whenever that is, whenever that time comes, um, you know, organizations will need to be thinking about, well, what is the sensible way forward? And what I would encourage all leaders right now to be doing is starting to document what are those things that we've learned. Don't, don't you know, throw all the learning out. There have been many things that our organizations and the people within them have learned during these past uh, number of months. And I think it'd be important to uh, understand those and use those best uh, practices and learnings going forward. So that's number one, remote work and flexible working arrangements. So now that you all know the top 10 uh, the workplace trends, according to the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology for the year 2021, perhaps now we should move on to talking a little bit about some implications and some further considerations regarding the state of the world of work in 2021. I think one of the most important ones is something, Chris, you already mentioned, which is, you know, these are great, uh, interesting, useful, worthy of our attention, but many organizations just still lack the basics. Yeah, this is this is like saying, well, what's Tiger Woods honing on his swing right now? And I'm like, man, I can't even go golfing without losing two sleeves of balls, you know? And this is like, I that is not the level of instruction that is right for where my golf game is right now. And you only be, you you only lose two sleeves of balls when you go golfing. Yeah, because I'm <laughs> buying the beers the rest of the time. I miss every other hole, right? So, you know, people are looking at these pro trends. And they're they're fantasizing. Oh, just imagine my organization is ready for this stuff. And you don't have basic stuff like performance reviews dialed. You have you don't have a competency model tied to your cultural values. You don't, you are missing. This is why you know IO site guys are great and everything. But some of the people doing some of the most amazing work that's having a big impact is Sherm, the Society mm -hmm. for Human Resources, because they're in the trenches saying. Well, what should my employee compensation plan look like? You know, I don't no. care about AI if nobody's getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah, there is a luxury that comes, especially when you're in academia. It's like, hey, this is some really interesting stuff, and I'm going to study it. And I think it's, you know, there, there it, it could be a trend, so I'm going to say it's a trend. There could be some of that. And like you said, you know, a lot of HR people out there and just every manager, every executive is in the trenches and has to get stuff done. So getting, you know, there, we had a whole movement, actually. I don't know if we still do this, but this was a thing in the Navy for a while. We said, you know, getting brilliant on the basics. And I, I think that's a, a nice way to think about this. You know, what are we trying to do as an organization? And how can we be great managers? How can we be great leaders? How can we, you know, motivate people, keep work organized, um, make it so people... Hey, maybe they, they, they even don't hate coming to work. Maybe they actually like coming to work. Those types of things can be really important to focus upon if that's not in place for you already. Yeah. If you got a hole in your boat, you know, who cares if you got a new mast? You're going to sink, you know? So, <laughs> so but, 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 you know, you got to plug those holes in the basic. And, and one of the things that always gets me about these trends is, you know, so we talked about it's missing some of those bread and butter issues. 
but it has a bias towards white collar enterprise level organizations because I guess those are the people that pay IO site people <laughs> in the right. in the end, right? You know, mom and pop's bakery isn't gonna hire an IO site person to come and help their four nighttime bakers have a better culture. You know, that's yeah. Well, and some of these ideas just require a certain number of employees to even be relevant. So for example, when you think about like talent management and like career paths within an organization, if you're an organization of like a hundred people, it's kind of hard to think about career paths. Maybe you can a little bit, but it's not like you can say, Hey, you come in at this level, there's a great chance you're going to get promoted into this level and so forth. Cause you don't have any, you just don't have the, the numbers to actually support that. So, yeah, I think there's probably a bias towards the larger organizations and those ones that have more mature ways of of functioning. Um, you know, I also wonder if there's a disciplinary bias here, which, you know, so this is the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology's list. So they get to have a bias, right? <laughs> this is what we think are some important work trends. Um, it's not the definitive list of trends, but there probably are some things that we're missing when we aren't thinking beyond just kind of the human side of, of business and some of these other, some of these things that we've mentioned. Yeah, and think of the word trendy. Right? Jinko jeans. Do you remember those in the 90s? Those big baggy old jeans? Like who wants those to come back? Nobody. Some of these trends are just trends. Now the diversity and inclusion stuff, that needs to be an enduring success. But, you know, if hey, does your HR system have AI? Oh yeah, man. We have all the AI over here. Some of that's <laughs> just just whatever talk and people are throwing around buzzwords and they and then they don't really know what they're talking about. Um, yeah. One of the things I'd like to see more of, and there are IO psych people that do this in a, in a job that does not have a career path upwards. What does enduring success look like for managing those employees? Cause mm -hmm. not everybody's on the path to the C-suite or die out trying. Um, what does culture and community look like for, you know, labor organizations. You know, we have migrant laborers that process our chicken and pick our wine grapes and all kinds of things. Uh, there are people that do. You've done work with uh, dirty and dangerous jobs, right? You've sure. done research there. Um, I'd love to see some of those issues because we're talking about our societies kind of, you know, there's an urban rural divide. There's mm -hmm. a kind of a class divide, inequality. Well, what are we doing to focus on the lives now, I'd like to see that to be an emerging trend, maybe next year. I'll, I'll go talk to the prez over there at PSYOP <laughs> and say, hey, what do we got to do to get some regular worker, regular sized organization, small business stuff on this list, rather than the trend being, let's enhance these multinational conglomerates. Yeah, well, and part of it is that there is um, a quantification bias. We, like, we measure those things that we can measure. And sometimes it's just hard to get access, for example, to do research in small organizations, or there aren't enough people in an organization to, for example, you know, fill out surveys that even give us a sample size that's going to help us do some, you know, some fun statistical gymnastics. You mean you guys so will have to work hard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who it wants sounds to do like that? work. Welcome to the rest of the world, you <laughs> numbskull PhDs. <laughs> no, but, I, yeah. but I think your point is very well taken that there is a bias perhaps here towards the more service and knowledge economy. Well, you know, we're not necessarily talking about the trends for blue collar jobs um, and, and some of those trades that I, I just have so much respect for and, and, and think are so important 
for our society. I mean, I have increasingly become more and more fascinated whenever I have somebody like come fix something in my house at the level of skill and expertise that, that some of these people have. So I think there's probably some areas that we need to look at there. Um, and, you know, another thing is that I think organizations need to ensure that they're not letting themselves get distracted by just what's shiny or what's what's trendy, what's maybe a fad, right? Um, and get good at those fundamentals. Get brilliant on the basics uh, because a big part of success strategically or tactically is just doing the fundamentals right. There's a lot of ground you can make up just by doing that. Yeah. If you don't have a dashboard or something to measure, you know, every we talk about continuous improvement and it definitely should be applied, not just to processes and projects, but to the people parts of our organization. Okay. You think you have the best, you know, performance review or assessment, accession criteria. Well, how are you going to improve it next year? Right. Are you saying you're perfect? No, nobody's perfect. Well, great. Where's your program to improve these bread and butter facets of your HR and your people operations. Okay. And then start dashboarding and add the inclusion, add the belongingness and the diversity, add some justice elements to those dashboards. Great. But a lot of you guys don't even have dashboards for how you're going to improve your core functioning. And that's going to require thought leadership, reading, attending some conferences virtually apparently this year, and and those kinds of things. You up your game on the fundamentals. Right. You know, there's also an inherent risk of just early adoption of some of these some of these things, right? Oh, yeah. I think approaching them with care. And I think actually we talked about this a little bit with the the social justice and the inclusion diversity types of topics in that, you know, you could imagine, we won't pick on any specific organizations, but one could imagine an organization that really wants to do the right thing, right? In their view, uh, in their view of how the world should work, how society should work, how their organizations should be in that world. And they may see something that's being done somewhere that sounds good. And they may say, let's, or they may read a book on something and say, let's do this across my entire organization. Uh, and they haven't really understood the problem. Perhaps they really haven't under, they don't have a good understanding, not only of the problem, but also of what the treatment is. And so there's, there's a potential for managerial malpractice, even if you are, you know, trying your best and doing what you think is right. So, uh, you know, evidence-based approaches towards organizational improvement are, are better than non-evidence-based approaches. Absolutely. And if you're going to dive, and you should, yes, let me give you a mandate. Do do this. Dive into diversity and inclusion and stuff like that. Don't just hire somebody and offset the work as a leader mm. in your organization. And that doesn't mean you have to be a manager. If you want to you know, lots of times the biggest leader is just the guy that's on the team. You mm -hmm. may not have the position, but everybody looks to them. We've all been in those meetings. What's Jack say? He's been here a long time. Yeah. You know, everybody just looks at Jack or whoever that person is. You need to get your arms and your minds and your hearts around the literature. If you're going to do some anti-racism interventions, you need to know about the, the history, who's talking about it, and the different sides of that conversation. If you're going to do the LGBT stuff, you better know. If you don't know what Stonewall is, you know, you need to go get yourself right. I, and then we see big organizations make mistakes here because they're like, yeah, this is just a distraction. When can we get back to our projects? And, and then a vendor comes in and then they look like 
chimpanzees in the public forum. They're like, mm. man, there's nobody's, everybody's asleep at the wheel as far as diversity and inclusion over at that org. Because look at these heinous, and I'm not talking about the mistakes of nuance. I'm talking about just blatant whiff. You know, yeah. they, they, it was a T-ball at bat and they, they hit the stick. <laughs> so yeah, you got to get right and learn about these things if you're going to wade into them and you should. Right. Right. So, I mean, I think it's good to be looking at those ideas that are the, the trends looking at the, I mean, that's actually part of, you know, being an agile organization is having that forward looking type of approach so that you're not just stuck in your own little echo chamber of your organization, that you are looking outside, you're trying to see what's going on in a broader context. And so looking for those ideas from the fringe, from the cutting edge types of ideas, uh, just make sure that as you explore and adopt those types of practices, that you have an enduring strategy, uh, that you have a good rationale for why you're doing certain things, that you're not just doing the kind of the hit and run to say we're doing something type of approach, uh, because you know that's not going to get you anywhere. You've got to you got to actually care, <laughs> dig into it, know what you're talking about, um, get the expertise if you need it from outside, and uh, and then move forward smartly. So I, I think those are some things that I would I would suggest for leaders and organizations right now. And it's about imagination. Nobody wants to lose imagination. From the earliest time we looked up at the stars, you know there was somebody that had no idea about flight even. It was like, man, what is it like up there, right? And then eventually somebody, you know, you have the imagination, but eventually you got to build your rocket ship. So these trends should inspire imagination. You should share these trends with your junior employees and stuff so they can start thinking about the world of work and get excited but there's like, okay, out of all this stuff that's inspiring our imagination, what can we concretely do now? Eventually, you got to do the work. And, and that's what having, like you said, Ben, a disciplined strategy on how to execute when to execute. Right. So today we have talked about this top 10 list of work trends for 2021 as reported and uh, as studied and uh, so forth by the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. We've discussed the actual trends here, and we've provided, I hope, some implications and other considerations for all of you out there, you captains of industry and leaders of the world, to uh, think about as you move into 2021 and try to succeed in your organization. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.